So hello, listeners. Today, we're going to read a Patreon question from Jake and answer it. We thought it was an interesting question. And if you have questions for us, um, if you become a patron, we kind of uh, we're like really committed to answering the questions. We'll also answer your questions if you just email us. But we're like extra committed if you're a patron just because, you know, we want to incentivize it. OK, so here is Jake's question. Hi, Max and Harriet. I love your show to the point that I feel I have a parasocial relationship as close friends with you both. <laughs> One area of interest to me is the phenomenon of the online slash armchair left versus the organizing for power left. When I first began identifying with leftist politics, I was adrift and lonely at school. I was alienated, a word I learned, and desperate for an identity. And that's what, quote unquote, being a socialist mostly was for me. I would call people libs or just get angry when people were not as immersed in politics as I was. It even ended a three and a half year relationship because I was not trying to win collective liberation as much as I was just just using a newly discovered political framework that felt very powerful to me and always correct. It did help me to grow intellectually and I was always trying to learn and it was so powerful to learn with a radical lens on history, sociology, etc. I did recognize at some point I should learn how to organize or actually do politics beyond retweeting thinkers I liked and reinforced my leftist identity. I joined a student labor solidarity group and attended organizing 101 workshops, including an IWW one with, uh, I think that's West Virginia teachers, WV teachers. Mm -hmm. In my senior year, I decided I had to be an organizer now, not because I'm especially effective at listening and building relationships with working class people, but because being an organizer is what serious leftists do. I read an important book that served as a personal paradigm shift. Hegemony How-To by Jonathan Smucker that turned out to be a gut check for why I'm drawn to these politics, and I do actually want to be in the struggle. I just wanted to point out this phenomenon. Was it just in my head? Are there other confused leftists out there that could be plugged into winning power and not just listening to Chapo? And that's uh, a reference to Chapo yeah. Trap House, a podcast. Is this a mental illness or just deep alienation? Either way, it did damage to my relationships. Thank you both. Well, I think that's a really good question. And it is a constant issue in the left. There are those who join the left because they want to feel morally and correct. in, mm -hmm. And they associate moral and political correctness because politics are morality in the world. But some people would mm -hmm. just want to be pure. They don't actually want to win power. They want to say to themselves they are doing the correct thing, even if it's alienating people and ineffective. And that's a mm -hmm. real problem because if you talk to real people, the situation is always complicated and you can reach people, you can listen to them. But if you know you have the truth in a, with an almost religious fervor, you'll alienate most people around you, but you'll feel very righteous. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more with Harriet. And I think from my own personal experience, I, I did this, I think, when I was a little younger. I mean, I still do it sometimes. I think when you um, when you become really entrenched into an ideology of any kind, whether it's like you're a socialist or I don't know if you're a hardcore libertarian or something, and you've read, read all the books and um, your social media algorithms are only pointing toward one really small 
kind of uh, uh, a very myopic perspective politically and you go out into the real world, you're going to find yourself feeling pretty alienated from other people, right? Because most normal people are, they're either watching basically Fox News or MSNBC. And those are kind of the, the only conversations people have politically. So, you know, if you want to talk about like labor theory of value and Marxism or something like that, you know, that most people don't, um, yeah. they haven't read that stuff. Um, and, you know, if you're listening to like Chapo Trap House, I mean, that's like a few super irreverent white dudes in Brooklyn who are insanely online, well-read leftists that are just saying they're, they're troll. They've trolled their way to fame. They're really smart. I mean, I've, I've listened to it. I kind of like their podcast, but, um, but they're not, um, if you're going to try to organize your workplace or organize a building of tenants or just engage in any like, normal organizing project you can't lead with the kind of language that the, the, the chapo guys use or uh just use leftist jargon you know um and calling people libs just kind of hurts their feelings and then they're never going to listen to you so um hmm. it's it's sad i feel like you know a lot of us have done this you get onto a high horse on something and then you you feel like you said jake you feel powerful and once you feel powerful you're acting maybe kind of arrogantly and then you push people away and it's uh, I almost think it's a developmental process for some people mm. where they have to go through this phase and then they realize what they're doing maybe from some feedback or feeling lonely afterwards and realizing that they should find it a more effective way to talk to people. Yeah, because the point is, you know, there are two points. If your point is to prove to the world and yourself that you are correct, unlike the other misguided people in your environment, that's one thing. If you're idea is we need to win power so that our ideas and values can be put into practice. That's another whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, my father, who was a leftist for a long, long time, used to say to, that too much of the left is go down fighting, but by all means, go down. Because <laughs> that's what happens. If you look at the descriptions of people like AOC or like the Unite Here people who went around all over the place to get black people to register to vote. And although they're not admitting it at the moment, 38% of the Democratic vote was a black vote. It was people who were organized for years, not just around the election, but around black lives mattering and black votes mattering and black mm -hmm. people's welfare mattering and all people's welfare mattering. And that was door-to-door mm -hmm. -door stuff. AOC mm -hmm. visited every household that would let her in, in her entire district. Whereas her predecessor, who she beat, even though he was an incumbent who'd been in for about 20 years, he didn't even bother coming around to the last weeks before the election and didn't go visit anybody. It's that scut work mm -hmm. of interacting with people around their values and yours and trying to link the two that makes a difference. And it means spending a lot of time in people's kitchens rather than making what you think are politically correct pronouncements. Yeah. And it took me a while. I think it was 
it may have started with the IWW organizing one-on-one training as well and some other experiences and finally realizing, oh, and Jane McAlevey, anyone who hasn't uh, listened to her talks or read her books or whatever, um, this concept of like mobilizing versus organizing from her perspective, I think is just a really beautiful picture of kind of what we're doing wrong and how to do things right. And her description of this mobilizing is getting people who already agree to go do a thing together, like go to a, you know, women's march or, you know, whatever. Um, and organizing is expanding the base of people who you can then later uh, mobilize. And so organizing is uh, tasks. It, the, the task of organizing is literally talking to people who either very much don't agree with you or s- don't seem like they care about the issue. Um, and if you think about the way voting behavior even works in the United States, uh, we tend to think like half the country votes blue, half votes red or whatever. But it's more like 25% votes blue and 25% votes red and like 50% doesn't vote. So it's actually like the majority of people just sit out the vote every time. And, you know, we had really high turnout this time, but it's it's probably still not that high. I mean, there's probably still million, tens of millions of Americans that didn't vote. It so, was 56% you know, to be exact. Who did, who, who did or did not? 56% voted instead of the 49% that voted mm-hmm. for the last president. So it's an improvement, yeah. but... It's an improvement, but that's still, you know, it's still roughly half, right? So yep. and from that perspective, I think that the Jane Mac, just to credit her, because I think she's a genius, that from the Jane McAlevey perspective, the goal should be organizing the, you know, the 50% that didn't vote, you know, like finding those people and figuring out how to talk to them and getting them engaged, like finding what makes them tick and ha- helping them connect the dots and realizing if they dedicated their lives to fighting for Medicare for all, Green New Deal, whatever, it would really improve their lives and everyone around them. And it would increase in, improve their mental health to actually stay in, involved and stay connected. But the methods needed to do that, the, the opposite methods of achieving that is telling people that they're a stupid lib or they're a deplorable and <laughs> yeah. they're, a, a, they're a racist piece of shit and they need to like go to a surge anti-racist workshop or whatever. Like none of those things work. Like people just shut you out. They'll shut the door in the in your face. They'll delete you as a friend on Facebook. So it's it's like methodically the opposite of mm. of base building and expanding the the base. So um, you know, I think we can all probably improve in figuring out how to talk to ordinary people. Yes, it, it is a hard thing to do sometimes if you think you know everything, like like I do. So um. yeah, well, we've all had those moments where we get a real high thinking we know everything, but then of course, um, you know, we're not organizing because part of why people join something is not because they are told they're stupid and inferior and wrong, but because after saying what they want and need and hearing the perspective of the other person on how they could actually get that, they say, oh, I see, I could get what I want and need better. So for example, with Trump, He's always saying it's all rigged, it's fixed. You could let people know you do know that there's a lot of rigging and fixing. However, his record mm-hmm. shows he's doing it even more, that the swamp mm-hmm. is there and the swamp is Wall Street and the megalomaniac billionaires. Mm-hmm. But those are behind him. So we've got mm-hmm. to look elsewhere and we really agree with you. You know, you have to see the validity yeah. of where they're coming from because it's usually... Not, I want to kill black people or something. Yeah. It's a basically decent thing. Yeah. This isn't to say you need to, like, actually agree. I mean, I think this is, 
this maybe we need to train more therapists to become organizers or something too because i think like the skill set we have in listening is probably mm. i mean exactly what should be done when organizing not you know you don't want to sit in a room for an hour and listen to people you disagree with and then be like now i'm organizing but just basic <laughs> basic validation skills like you're listening to someone just like ramble about a thing and you're your purpose in listening is finding what makes sense from their perspective and then reflecting it back to them so that they can see that you're showing that you understand. I mean, people just feel really good in a relationship with you when you do that. And it does take some skill. Like most people can't do it automatically. Um, but when you do that with somebody, even if they disagree, um, like, I don't know, like a white supremacist that's like going off on ridiculous stuff. Like I might try to connect with them and like, well, I can see that you just, you feel like, the world is going in the wrong direction and you feel like you don't belong or something like, you know, I might try to find something like that. I'm not going to validate like white ethno state now or something like no. that, but like I might try to find some point and if it doesn't work, I guess, you know, we can fight them in the streets or whatever, but um, you know, you got to try to connect with people that you disagree with. And also to connect with what the motive is for their wanting mm. to vote the way they do or think the way they do, because the mm. motive is probably a decent motive for trying to have a better life and nobody's mm. listened to them. And, yeah. you know, this is a real turning point here in politics where it's very much needed that people do what AOC and the, the whole squad did. And then the new people in the squad, Mondaire Jones or Ricky Torres, or Jamal mm -hmm. Bowman, are all guys who listen to people. Jamal mm -hmm. Bowman was a high school principal who really listened. And mm -hmm. they have a sense of knowing where people are coming from because they listen to them and saying, well, actually, I agree. Let's get there through this way because this, this makes sense. Uh, this is a great share, Jake, and thanks for asking our thoughts on this. And I guess to answer more simply, uh, was the phenomenon just in your head? Uh, definitely not. I think this is actually a, a widespread phenomenon that a lot of people have been struggling with for a long time. I mean, from Harriet's generation um, to now, I mean, even before the internet, I could see, I'm sure a lot of the revolutionaries of the 60s just alienating the hell out of people with some of the ways they were talking to people. Um, yeah, absolutely. And not on Twitter. Yeah, You know, um, the weather people who were really extreme ran through high schools screaming, revolution, get out now. People had no idea what they were talking about. They just said, whoa, uh, huh? But they presumed that people knew what they were talking about. That's a long process of talking. And yeah. some people just go online, like the Sunrise Movement does a lot mm -hmm. on online, and it's a fabulous climate emergency movement mm -hmm. but it's interacting in an honest way and giving the other person the benefit of the doubt that they're struggling too which is really yeah. important thank you so much jake yeah thanks jake and if anybody wants to uh become a patron you can go to patreon.com slash it's not just in your head or you can just shoot us an email and our email address is it's not just in your head at gmail.com bye-bye Bye.
By the way, listeners, if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program, you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolff and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head. Capitalism Hits Home is a sort of broader overhead view. It explores the way that capitalism shapes our personal lives, our psyches, our relationships, our families, and it looks particularly at the sea change in American personal life as all Americans but the top 10 or 20 percent of Americans have our security and our chance for a future become as precarious as it always was for minorities and families headed by women. It's not just in your head and capitalism hits home are definitely complimentary. And if listeners would like to check out Capitalism Hits Home, Harriet, where should they go to find it? Either on YouTube or Democracy at Work or on my own website, HarrietFraud.com.